0: I was um, doing some email this afternoon and one of it was to a parent who asked um, from a non-Calvinist background, was asking about a prospective student and said, now what what does it mean that you guys believe in predestination? Like, how does that really impact what you do? Which is a a common question that I'll get from parents who come from other traditions, like where would I be sending my child if I send them to Calvin College? Are you really Calvinist? Like, really? And what I wrote back is, that what it means is that we think that god is sovereign over all areas of life and we just sang about jesus reigning jesus being the king and that's really what it means that predestination fits under that big idea that god is in control and we don't have to worry what a good thing that is isn't it it's a beautiful and wonderful thing So we've been doing this series called What If It's True? And this week we're gonna hear about what if it's true that the Bible is authoritative? Great question, very important question. Next week we're gonna look at what if it's true that sex is reserved for marriage between a husband and a wife? So next week is the sex sermon, okay? Yeah. Yeah, woo. Woo and who both, yes. So um, I want you to have like heads up and those of you who uh, watch online with children, it's going to be frank. It's going to be candid. We're going to be clear about things. All right? We're going we're to say words that people don't say in church all the time. So uh, I just want to give you a heads up because Jesus does reign, including over our sexuality. So we can have, be free to talk about these things under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and that's what we're going to do next week. So uh, we're excited about that. And uh, there's a play that starts Friday and Saturday this weekend, and we'll, then we'll go Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the next weekend. You may have saw the cover of Chimes. It's about intimacy and sexuality. And after each performance of the play, one of the members of the campus ministry staff and the writer-director of the play, Dave Ellens, will be giving a talk back about the play. And the play is based on interviews with members of the Calvin Extended family, we'll just say that, about intimacy, sexuality, Um, spiritual intimacy, how these things play out in their lives. It's it's a really profound uh, play. I think it's going to lead to some great discussions. So the sex sermon kind of flows in and out of that larger discussion. So we encourage you to go to the play, stick around for the talkbacks. We believe that there's a lot that's uh, said about sex in the public arena that's simply false. And um, instead of simply being silent about it, we actually, as Christians, need to talk about it. So that's what we're going to do, okay? So see the play, bring friends, uh, stay for the co- talk back, come to the sermon next week, and let's, uh, let's claim this area for Jesus Christ. Um, one of the great things we do as community is to give money to what? The community, community Care Fund. Every Sunday we take an offering It's students helping other students. So when we have someone who's in a time of crisis, has a funeral, has in financial need, um, needs a root canal we've had, um, we're able to give to that student so that he or she is able to not worry about money when they've got other things on their mind. And you guys are making a difference. So thank you for your faithful contributions to the Community Care Fund. And our uh, worship servants will take the offering now. before we go to prayer tonight christina drost who's a freshman from denver her father doug who's just in his early 50s suffered a stroke this week Um, very unexpected um, very concerning for the family he's paralyzed on the right side he's having difficulty speaking Uh, christina hopes to fly home this weekend um, but kind of depends on how the rest of her life goes so we're going to be praying for christina and her family And then Nikki Joseph, some of you know her mom was in hospice care and her mom succumbed to cancer on Saturday. And so we're going to be praying for Nikki this week as she goes to be with her family and gathers. We're continuing to pray for our brother Paul Bursma as he recovers from uh, the serious lung infection that he had that had him hospitalized and we get to have him back. And then I need to let you know about a tragedy that happened in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. This is a an extended Calvin family. So we have a number of students from South Dakota, from Sioux Falls area. And there was a member, there was a Vollmer family. They were driving to a basketball game and all four of them were killed, leaving one daughter who's a student at Northwestern University in Orange City. And so Brittany is that student and she has lost her mom, her dad, and her younger brother and younger sister all in one accident. So Jim, Julie, Alyssa, Caleb, Balmer have gone to be with the Lord, and Brittany is a student like you. And so tonight we're going to be praying for that family and that extended community and those from uh, the Calvin family. This was Josh Davis who sent this to me because he's from that area. And they're just in shock in, uh, in that whole area, so we're going to lift them up tonight. Will you pray with me? God, we have sung that you are king, that you are in control. And we know that we can have peace because of this. But when we hear of such tragedies in the world, we run out of words. We don't know what to say. We can't even imagine what Brittany may be experiencing right now. The deep grief That she has been plunged into her life split into before and after so Lord in your mercy wrap your arms around her as she faces a very long week ahead and trying to figure out what this means for her life and her future we pray for her extended family and her friends that they will be true friends to her that they will be the light of Christ to her that they will not try to formulate explanations out of thin air, but sometimes that they'll just be able to sit and be silent in grief. Lord, we pray, too, that you guard her heart and mind in Christ Jesus, that this deep tragedy would not turn her away from you or your love, but instead a reminder of how much we all need the truth of the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. We thank you that you are the one who conquers death. And we claim that for the Vollmer family. We claim that for our sister Nikki. As she grieves the loss of her mother, stand by her. As she gathers with her family and laments the toll that cancer has taken, Lord, we pray that you stand by her. Surround her with your love and your grace. Help us to love her well when she returns to Calvin. And for all in our community who are suffering, Lord, we pray that we will remember them. It's easy to become so absorbed in our own lives, and our own busyness, and what we need to do that we forget that there are people around us who are hurting. And so we lift up Christina. Her dad is far away, and she wants to go home. The Lord help her concentrate on what she needs to do right here and right now so that when she's able to go home, she can do it with the full presence of mind. And we pray for her dad, Doug. Lord, you can do amazing things. And so we pray healing over him. We pray for his brain to be fully restored. We thank you that already there has been evidence that he's coming back, that he recognizes people, that he can say letters. Lord, please restore him to life. Because his children need their dad and his wife needs a husband and you need an able servant. So Lord, restore Doug completely, we pray. And we continue to pray for our brother Paul. Lord, that you will clear out his lungs and allow him to breathe deep and fresh air. We pray, Lord, that he will come soon to not be reliant on oxygen anymore, but just able to breathe easily on his own. And Lord, keep him patient as he waits for this healing to come. Help his parents and caretakers as they seek to do what's best for them. Give them patience. And God, we pray for our Calvin community It has been a good and busy weekend here. We thank you for Rangila. What a beautiful, colorful celebration of people from every realm bowing down, celebrating in different tongues, different dances, different ways of praising you. We thank you for sporting events that allow us to cheer and yell and celebrate. We thank you for the opportunity to gather with friends and watch the Oscars. We thank you for these times when we can just enjoy being your people. We are also very aware that it is late winter and we're tired. And Lord, this is the season when we can get crabby. We can get crabby toward our roommates and toward parents and toward professors and toward ourselves and toward you. So Lord, have mercy. Come to us in our tired and weary states. Minister us through the gentle teachings of your Holy Spirit. If there's anything that we have said within the last week that needs to be confessed, Lord, help us to confess it. Help us to be reconciled with those we live with so that we can, we can move on and do well. Lord, help us to live as children of the light. And God, we are so grateful for word and sacrament. And tonight, as Paul preaches to us, Lord, we pray your blessing on him. You have given him so many gifts, and so often we see them expressed musically. But Lord, you have also made him a preacher. And so tonight, Lord, we pray that you lift him up, and you use the gift that you have given him as a preacher to preach your word and to bring us to the table hungry and eager to be fed. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have given us. And it's your holy name we pray, and all God's people say, Amen.
1: tonight we are going to look at a portion of scripture in Hebrews. If you want to open up your Bibles and turn there, you can find it on 970. 970 in the chair Bibles. And we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Page 970. 970. Begins this way. Long ago God spoke. God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Today, I have begotten you, or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sometimes, I wish that I was a black preacher. See... I love black preaching. There's this musical quality to black preaching. It's if, it's if they're singing while they're sermonizing. There's this rhythm and pitch and volume and, and repetition and this music that's to it. And there's this powerful, dynamic aspect to, to this black preaching. And there's this relationship between the preacher and the people, right? So if the preacher says, can I get an amen, the people say, Amen. All right. And then the people will keep on going. They're like, all right, come on, preach it, Preach it. And if the preacher's having a little bit of trouble, they say, help him, Lord. Help him. And sometimes I wish that I had a little bit of help him, Lord. Help him. And so I love this black preaching. And every once in a while, I wish maybe I could pull off a little bit of of, of black preaching. But, But then I look in the mirror, and I see this skinny white guy. And I think, there is no way. And then I think to myself, well, maybe... Maybe I can maybe I can be like Mary Holst. Yeah, you know, I can I can preach without notes. I can do that. I could be funny. Or I can I can use Harry Potter illustrations. <laughs> and then I, I could go down, I could step down off the platform and, and touch you on your knee and, and on your head and <laughs> Then I think, no, I, I just I couldn't get away with that. You know, Pastor Mary, she has impact in her sermons because she's she's your pastor and, and she's here every Sunday and she meets some of you in pastoral care meetings. She gives hugs every week over here and and she she has this pastoral authority with you that you see her as, as your pastor and you want to listen to what she says. So I, I think to myself for a moment and I think, well, well, well who am I and uh, what's my relationship with you? And, and, and why would you want to listen to me? What's my authority in this community? Well, look, the, the preacher in Hebrews doesn't really concern himself with these questions at all. And, and I refer to it as a sermon because commentators see this, this sermon as less of a, of a letter to be read and more of a, as a sermon to be preached. Something that, that would, people would take and they would get up in front of a community, a corporate gathering of people, and they would preach these words to the people. But the, the preacher of Hebrews really doesn't tell us who the, the preacher is. Is he a Jew? Is he a Greek? Is he an apostle? Is he a he? We don't know. The preacher doesn't say anything about himself. He's not like Paul, who says at the beginning of his letters, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, or, or Peter, I, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, or James, I, James, a servant of the Lord. He doesn't give us indica- any indication as who he is as a preacher. But what we do read at the beginning of Hebrews is that long ago, God spoke. The preacher here is less interested in himself as a preacher and more interested in God as one who speaks to his people. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many in various ways by the prophets. God speaks, and the, and the preacher wants to emphasize this as a fundamental aspect of God's relationship with his people. He is a God who speaks, and his people are a people who listen. And we see this throughout Scripture. If you want to turn with me back to Genesis chapter 1, we have right at the beginning, God speaking. In verse 3, God said, Let there be light. And there was light. In verse 6, and God said, Let there be a dome in the midst of the water, and let it separate the waters from the waters. Verse 9, and God said. Verse 11, then God said. Verse 14, and God said. And it keeps on going until it climaxes in verse 26. And it says, then God said, let us make humankind in our image. God spoke and the worlds came into being. God spoke and, and humanity was formed. God's speaking is fundamental to his relationship with creation and with us. Then we go on into the story in Genesis chapter 12. God speaks to Abram. It says there in verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you. God speaks to Abram and in doing so, he creates an entire nation of people. God speaks to Abram, and in doing so, he jump-starts a whole process of his redemptive work throughout history. And then we go on even further to Isaiah chapter 41, 583, if you want to turn there. Isaiah 41, and here, God speaks in affirmation of his relationship with his people. That he is their God and they are his people. In verse 8, it says, "May you, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from the farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Do not fear For I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. God speaks these words of of comfort and assurance to his people, continuing this, this pattern throughout all of scripture of God speaking to his people. And you see God speaking to, to Isaac and Jacob. You see God speaking to, to David and to Solomon. You see God speaking to, to Isaiah and to Jeremiah and to Ezekiel and all the prophets. You see God speaking throughout all of history and showing that fundamentally he has a relationship with his people by speaking to them. That is the basis of their relationship. And and, and one person has said that you could think of the relationship between God and his people as acoustical. It's based on acoustics. God speaks into the universe. It echoes throughout all of creation. And God's people hear. And they respond. It's an an acoustical relationship. But still, there, there are times... There are times when we, we listen to God's word, we, we hear God speaking, and we may have doubts in our minds. We have questions. There are other voices in our world that, that, that may shake our faith about God's speech to us. Does, does God really speak to us? And am I to also to listen and to obey? One... One loud voice that we may hear in our world is what I'll call a a scholarly voice. This is a voice that you may hear in your classes or you may have in conversation or read in an article. These questions can raise up some doubts and fears in us. Were Adam and Eve really historical figures? Was there really a flood? Was Moses the author of the first five books of the Bible. Is it better to speak of Deuteronomy as one or really as four with all these different four, uh, sources that were all pieced together? What about Isaiah? Is it better to speak of Isaiah as one or as uh, Isaiah one and Isaiah two? How does all that work out? And we, we hear these conversations, we hear this in class, and, and, and for many of us, this shakes our, our faith. And we wonder, is, does God speak through his word Is that, is the record of God's speech to us, is that called into question? It's a loud voice that we hear. Another voice that may speak into our lives is what I might call the the social agenda voice. So on one hand, you have a group of people who say, God's word is against gay marriage. And then you have another group over here, and they lift up the same word, and they say, God's word is for gay marriage. Or you have one group that lifts up God's word and says, God's word says that we should care for creation and be concerned about global warming. And then another group picks up God's word and says, God's word says that this really is not our home and we should not be concerned about this earth but look forward to the world that is to come. Or we hear another voice, a group of people who come to us and they say, well, you know, if you were really listening to scripture, then you would be a conservative Republican. And another group of people say, well, if you really listen to scripture, then you'd be a liberal democrat. And all these different voices and the ways in which people are using scripture makes us just throw up our arms in disgust and go, is this really God's word? That people could take God's word and use it in all these different ways? Does, how does this have authority? How am I supposed to read this word in any way that I can listen to it and, and respond with any sense of, of confidence? And maybe a, another voice that, that you may experience, a loud voice in our lives, is what I'll call the quasi-devotional voice. And this is the voice that you have someone who comes to you and says, oh, I was just reading Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and I, I just feel like that, uh, that God is calling me to be a shepherd on our floor and lead our floor to places they don't want to go. And you think, did God really say that? Another person comes to you and says, oh, I was just reading Matthew chapter 6 about not worrying, and I just feel that God is saying to me that, that I really don't need to work hard on my midterms right now because, you know, God's got it covered. He's going to provide for me. You know, or I, just, I just feel that God is saying that I'm like Zacchaeus and I need to go find my tree and get up high so I can find Jesus. Now, I'm being a little ridiculous here, but you know what I mean? It's the, it's the, I just feel that voice. And we begin to wonder when we hear scripture being used in this way, we're like, well, does, does scripture's authority in our lives really just rely on how I'm feeling or thinking at any given moment? Does it just rely on the kinds of people that I'm around and what they say and what impressions they're giving? Does God really speak to us in these ways? So these these voices, they can cause us to to doubt the authority of of God's word in Scripture. But they do so, they do so because they, they fundamentally miss the way in which God exercises his authority through Scripture. So God does not exercise his authority through Scripture as a book of historical inerrancy. God does not exercise his authority in Scripture as a book of scientific knowledge. God does not exercise his authority in Scripture as an outline for a social agenda. And for better or worse, God does not exercise his authority in Scripture by telling you who you ought to marry or what major you should have. God exercises his authority in Scripture primarily by a relationship. This is what, what the preacher in Hebrews is telling us. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son. The preacher here is telling us that a relationship with the son is the center, is the focus, is the, is the heart of God's speech to us. This is how God speaks. He speaks to us by a son. And there are five ways in which the preacher here exalts the excellency of the son in this spoken word. First, he says, Jesus, or the son whom the Father appointed heir over all things. So God, in creating all things, has taken all of those things and has given them to Jesus, to his son as an inheritance. So Jesus is the, is the owner of all things, we could say. And then going on, it says, Jesus, through whom the Father also created the worlds. So Jesus is not only the owner of all the things that if he's inherited from the Father, but actually Jesus was also there at creation. As God was speaking creation into the world, he was doing that through Jesus. And then just a a couple lines over here with the words, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. Jesus sustains all things by his powerful word. This is a reference to the Father's hand in guiding and providing and caring for all of this creation. But what the preacher is saying here is that Jesus is holding them as well that maybe it's even that the Father is using the hands of Jesus to uphold creation and sustain it, so that if, if Jesus were to remove his hands, all creation would unravel. And then fourth, when he had made purification for sins... The preacher is saying here that all of the God's work, the Father's work in bringing about redemption of his creation and his people, leading towards the purification of sins, to cleanse our conscience, to create a, a doorway to come right into the throne room of God, to have access to the Father. All of that was done through Jesus Christ. And then fifth, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. On high. So, all of the authority, the rule that God has over all creation, Jesus is right there with Him. Jesus is there exercising that authority with His Father over all creation. So, you can see here this this incredible story that, that, that God is doing through Jesus Christ. That when God spoke the world into being, when God created, Jesus was there. When God has been sustaining all of his creation and guiding it, Jesus is there. When God is working his plans of redemption all throughout history, Jesus is there. When God speaks about being in control of all things, being the ruler over all things, Jesus is there over all things. God is highlighting that it is His Son is the one in whom we find all of Scripture pointing to. That the, that the very climax of Scripture, everything that, Jesus, everything that Scripture has been pointing to through all of history and all of these acts of God have been pointing towards Jesus. And it's this relationship between a father and a son that is fundamental to God's speech to us. And if that weren't enough... The preacher in Hebrew says that Jesus is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. So to see Jesus is to know the Father. To know Jesus is to know the Father. To hear Jesus is to hear the Father. So God speaks to us by a relationship. He speaks to us by by a person. And so that when we read, when we read the Bible, when we read Scripture, when we read God's Word, it exercises authority. God exercises authority by showing us Jesus. By proclaiming Jesus. So Oswald Chambers who wrote the book, My Utmost for His Highest, a popular devotional, Oswald Chambers says, I'm not called to believe the Bible, but I'm called to believe the one in whom the Bible reveals. So that when we hear conversations about whether or not Moses was the author of the first five books of the Bible, we don't need to lose any sleep over this. Because ultimately it's not important that Moses was the author. What's important is that Adam and Eve and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and all of the stories proclaim Jesus Christ. They point towards Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. If we read in Exodus one of the footnotes in our Bible that says that the Red Sea was really not the Red Sea, but in fact was called the Sea of Reeds, we don't need to lose any sleep over this. You know, it reminds me of a a joke I I once heard about a a little boy who goes off to school and he has this particularly liberal professor, liberal teacher, I should say, it's a younger boy. And uh, this professor is saying, well, you know, it's really not the the Red Sea, it's the Sea of Reeds and archeological evidence say that uh, the Sea of Reeds was actually this this great big uh, marshland area and the water was actually about a a foot off the ground. The little boy goes home and he's excited and he says, Mommy, Daddy, guess what? God drowned all of Pharaoh's army in one foot of water. (laughs) Because the point is not whether it was the Sea of Reeds or the Red Sea. The point was that God made a way for his people to come out of a land of slavery into a promised land. And that story points us to Jesus, who's brought his people up out of death and sin and who has made a way for them into eternal life. Now, this doesn't mean that history is not important. I think history is very important. And I believe that the characters that are in the scriptures are historical figures. But that doesn't mean that we can't learn about and understand how the the writers those who were recording god's speech were not how we can understand that they were using cultural or theological ways to to tell the story that that these stories are not first of all a history textbook that they weren't thinking at the time about historical inerrancy like we think about historical inerrancy. They weren't, you know, as history professors writing a history that was going to stand for all time. They were writing about the activity of God. And God was using those stories to tell us about Jesus. So whenever we read scripture, we look for Jesus. Jesus. We look for the relationship that God has with his son from all of time. So so what if it's true that God exercises his authority by a relationship with Jesus Christ? Then we are invited by the Father to listen, to be with Jesus, to meditate on the word of Jesus, to to get with other people and to talk about the word of Jesus and to let the word of Jesus shape our lives and everything that we do. God has given us his word and he's given it to us in the form of a person. He's given it to us in Jesus Christ with whom we can have a relationship. That's the good news. This is the good news that we have about our word, about the word that God has given us. Pray with me. Uh, Sing with me if you know this. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. To reach out and touch him. And say that we love Him. Open our ears, Lord, and help us to live. God's people say together. Amen. John Calvin, our school's namesake, said that there is a a fundamental connection between the word of God preached and the celebration of the sacrament. That in the word preached, we, we hear God's word spoken to us. But Calvin uses these words like condescended and and dull, which to our words sound really mean. But at that time, what he's saying, what he's saying that that God finds us sometimes a little bit dull, like we don't quite pick it up when, when we hear the word. And so God condescends. He comes to us, to our level to say, wait a minute, you have four other senses. You have the sense of taste. The sense of smell and of touch and of sight. And so God has given us his sacrament, the Lord's Supper, so that we might taste his goodness, to smell his beauty and his fragrance, to be able to to touch and and to see that the Lord is, is indeed good. So when Jesus gathered together all of his disciples, he spoke to them and he said, on the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and he gave thanks. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we lift our hearts to you because it is right to do so. We lift them up by your Holy Spirit who makes us to commune, to be in fellowship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We praise you and thank you that you are a God who from all times has spoken to your people, that you called us out of the dust of the earth and made us your own, that you called us from an older man named Abram and created a whole nation of people and that you spoke to us. Finally, by your Son, Jesus Christ, who through his life and his death and his resurrection has overcome death and has given us victory over the sin and the grave. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for the work that you have done in all times and the work that you continue to do among us now. And we pray that your Holy Spirit may come upon us now that this bread might be for us truly the body of Christ for our nourishment and that this cup might be for us truly the blood of Christ to cleanse us from all of our sins. Pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. I'd like you to rise together and as God's people, the body of Christ, let's together proclaim what we believe about our triune God. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Today, we are blessed to have with us elders and the pastor of Woodlawn Christian Reformed Church. They will be sponsoring our communion tonight. Thank you so much for being with us. Tonight, as we celebrate communion, we'll be coming forward in rows. If you're in these two sections, you come up these two rows. If you're in these two sections, you come in these two rows and then exit out that direction. Exit out that direction and just go back around to your seats that way. I invite you to come up and tear off a piece of bread, and, and if you can see, it's maybe a little hard to see where you see. We have a lot of bread tonight. It's a lot of bread, so I want you to feel free to take a lot of grace along with that bread, and uh, you know, uh, and 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 take that. You hear the words, "the body of Christ for you." Dip it in the cup. You hear the blood of Christ shed for you, and and take it and eat it. Then you may say, "Thanks be to God," or "Amen," or simply be silent. If you are not a communicant member in your home church, so if you, back at your home church, you do not participate in the Lord's Supper, and we invite you still to come forward here and participate in the supper, but to receive a a blessing. And you can make a sign of the cross on your chest, and you'll receive a a blessing blessing from the person who is, is giving the bread. Jesus said to us, he says, I am the bread of heaven. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. And whoever believes in me will never thirst. We do not come because we're strong. We come because we're weak. We do not come because we're able, but we come because we are unable. We do not come because we are penitent. We do not come because we are righteous. We come because we are penitent. This is God's feast for his people. He has paved the way. Right? There's no self-righteousness here. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's come to the table.